Hello and welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins and thank you for your company. This is a weekly discussion about the many and varied routes of the Camino de Santiago arriving in Santiago de Compostela, the home, we're told, of the remains of Christ's Apostle St. James. This is week 11, and I just wanted before this week's podcast to say thank you to my listeners. The response has been overwhelming. If you have a story to tell or would like to tell us about your Camino, message me via Facebook, My Camino, the podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the podcast. Just go to the podcast icon on your phone, and if you can't find it, just hit search. Then, on the podcast icon, hit search, type in My Camino, the podcast, and hit subscribe. Each new episode will arrive on your phone automatically each Tuesday night, Sydney time. And remember to hit like and leave a review on iTunes. Now, this week's podcast, One Camino. Since I began My Camino, the podcast, I've been inundated with suggestions for interviews. And this week's story is one of the most inspiring and uplifting that I've been lucky enough to learn about. It's called Veterans on the Camino, and it's the brainchild of US war veteran Brad Geronov. It provides veterans with the means and the resources to take the ancient pilgrimage we all know as the Camino de Santiago. Brad is on the line from Ohio in the United States. Brad, welcome. Thank you. So before we talk about Veterans on the Camino and your Caminos, let me ask about your service. Where and when did you enlist? Oh, I enlisted in 1988. Uh, I, I grew up in Ohio, and uh, uh, I was reserved for a couple of years, and uh, then I went active duty in 1991, and I had a 22-and-a-half-year active duty career before I retired. So was there a tradition of military service in your family? Absolutely. I've got uh, great uncles that were in World War II. Uh, my father, my uncles were all in the military. Uh, it, it's definitely a family tradition. Uh, my brother was also in the Navy, and he retired from that as well. And and tell us then about your your service history. Well, I was a CB, uh, so Naval Construction Forces. I, though I was in the Navy, I was never on a ship. Uh, I'm a, what you call a dirt sailor. So <laughs> uh, with with that, yeah, we uh, I was in construction battalions, and I traveled all over the place, and we did a lot of things like building schools and clinics during peacetime. Uh, of course, in uh, <clears throat> places like Afghanistan, we were doing more um, uh, contingency-type engineering. So let's then talk about how you coped returning home. Did you bring home mental and or physical injuries as a result of your service? I did not bring home any physical injuries. Uh, of course, uh, nine months in a place like Afghanistan is going to change a person. Yeah. Um, so, you know, extreme levels of stress, uh, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder. Some of the things you witness, uh, you know, humans visiting upon other humans are things that you wish you could but can never erase from your memory. So you bring that home. You, you bring home a good deal of baggage. Uh, and, of course, that coupled with my, um, my transition to the civilian side after a full career as a military, I didn't know how to reinvent myself. And so I struggled a lot with um, uh, hanging up the uniform. 
and basically uh, losing that identity. Did you, when you were in Afghanistan, did you get a sense then that you would struggle later? I didn't know the extent. I didn't really know how it would impact me. I knew that, um, uh, you know, leaving Afghanistan, it was to the point where the smallest of things would set me off. I would be almost literally vibrating with anxiety uh, at, at times. So it was, uh, it was very, very intense. And I, I knew that there were going to be long-term uh, coping that I, I would have to do with that. I just didn't realize uh, how deeply it had it kind of burrowed into me. And when you are in active service, so you're in Afghanistan, is there support available for you then and there? Of course, uh, but, you know, it's the troops around you. Uh, you know, in days gone by, a, a military unit uh, would, would go to battle, and then they would gradually decompress as they left the battlefield and marched home. Now it's a matter of, you know, from the battlefield to 24 hours later, you're shopping at Walmart. There's <laughs> no real time to uh, to deal with that and no real, you know, the while you're out there, it's fine because you're you're with everybody and everybody's going through the same things and and you're dealing with it and you've got a mission. It's when you come back uh, and and you don't have a time a period of time to decompress and work things out that you're running into problems. Yeah, so that's a very good point you make that you once walked or marched home and you had a, a, a transitioning from the battlefield to the real world. As you say, 24 hours later these days, you're shopping at Walmart. That must just yeah. be an extraordinary experience when you think about it and put it like that. It really is. It's very hard to come to terms with these two different realities. Yeah, God. So what sort of work did you transition into then when you arrived home? <laughs> well, when I retired, I... I uh, had a couple of things in mind that I, I had planned to do upon retiring, none of which worked out. So uh, that left me at a loss. Um, and I, I simply, no matter how hard I tried, I, I didn't feel like I could fit in. I, I didn't feel like I had anything in common. Uh, so I found myself really isolating myself. And uh, yeah, that, that's very unhealthy. Uh, the only people I would really communicate with were other veterans. And it was just my world was closing in on me, and I, I was not doing well. And uh, so I was—I would say that I was in a downward spiral, and I was—I was getting close to the bottom when I uh, uh, decided to just throw caution to the wind and grab a backpack and go hike the Camino de Santiago. And that's where we're at. Tell us about the inspiration, then. I mean, you've just given us a pretty good reason to do something like the Camino. Well, but what 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 was the actual inspiration yeah i mean i i discovered it while i was reading a travel magazine and i came across this uh this series of photographs of the uh this thing called the camino de santiago and it was these beautiful photographs of the pyrenees and these uh amazing villages and it it immediately captured my attention so the first thing i did was google camino de santiago and i knew immediately that i wanted to hike it um uh, I had some setbacks with that. I, I uh, had some deaths in the family and uh, just a whole series of things. And so it, it went to the back burner. But uh, then, you know, as things got worse and worse for me, it, it just kind of uh, 
inevitably became the only thing that I had left to do. And uh, so off I went. So where and when did you walk? I went in October 2014. And I walked the French Camino, so I, I uh, bought a one-way flight to Paris, and I took the train to Bayonne, and then uh, ended up in St. John, and that's where I started my walk. And I knew almost immediately from stepping out that this, this path, this journey, was going to change me, and that there was something very unique and very special about it. Do you remember what that moment was? <clears throat> Do you remember? What... I don't remember the yeah. exact moment, but I, I could tell right away that. Uh, the people I would meet on this were going to be very, um, very unusual. And my, my experiences of things that I saw, I, I just knew some instinct told me that this was going to be a life-changing event. And I, I think I knew that from the moment I got to St. John. Um, and so it wasn't long after Pamplona that I, I also realized that I, I think I should tell my story and uh, maybe I could influence other veterans who are struggling. Uh, with by sharing my story. Yeah, and we'll get to, you wrote a book, Soldier to Santiago, and we'll get to that in a, in a moment. Yeah. But can I just ask, Brad, did you find your military training was helpful in overcoming the Camino's physical and mental challenges? Oh, you know, uh, I would say, it. yeah, it had prepared me because uh, a life in the military, it, it conditions you to push through pain uh, it also conditions you to, uh, when times are hard to find a, a happy spot and, and go there. So there was a lot of conditioning that, a lot of tools that I had in my belt that had prepared me for a long-term uh, hike like this. So sure, yeah, it did help me, but I, I don't think it's anything entirely unique to the military. Yeah. Did you, did you walk a lot before you left? Did you train specifically for it? I did some training. I, I won't say I, I trained a huge amount because I also had the realization that uh, the only way to really train for something like this is to walk all day, every day. And that's what you're doing on the Camino anyway. So what I did is I, I really trained myself to survive the first day, be able to get up the next morning and continue walking. <laughs> and I haven't done the Pyrenees, but uh, a lot of people have told me that once you've got to the other side of the mountains, you th- you generally say to yourself, well, I've done that. I can do just about anything. Was that how you felt? Yes. I've done a lot of hiking and I've done uh, some hiking that was way more difficult, but the difficulty in this was that uh, you're, you're getting up and walking day after day, after day, after day. (laughs) Uh, I've never been on a trip where it was, it was this duration. So that was the challenge for me. Let's talk about, Veterans on the Camino. Uh, it's a it's a group you've established to support and encourage veterans to walk the Camino de Santiago. What prompted you to set it up to establish it? Well, um, I I think I had a rough idea of it uh, about the same time I was writing the book. Uh, that that I did just the book, just sharing my story wasn't enough. I wanted to do more. And so what I wanted to do is establish an organization that uh, my role in that is to enable uh, veterans to be able to walk the Camino and also remove obstacles. So, you know, I I want to once, you know, once you decide you're going to walk the Camino, once it's it's that seed is planted, you kind of have to do it. So my role in that is to enable them by by helping them logistically and also 
uh, you know, giving encouragement and removing obstacles. Um, you know, and, and I also, I, I'm there as a safety net. So, you know, friends or family or they themselves, if, if they're worried about running into any kind of trouble while they're there, I'm right there. Yeah. Uh, and, and I can, I can reach out and help them at any time. Can I ask you, Brad, are you a spiritual person or were you a spiritual person? I would say I'm a spiritual person. I <clears throat> would not say that I'm a, uh, a a very good religious person, but I am a very spiritual person, and I, I, that's a big part of it. And when you were in Afghanistan, for instance, did you find yourself offering support to others? Was that something that you have done in the past? No, not really. Um, my role in Afghanistan was was really uh, purist as a soldier. So uh, that's how I saw myself. That's how I functioned. It didn't really have too much to do with the spiritual. It was more, uh, here's the mission. Uh, here's how we're going to accomplish it. And just, just doing it. Yeah, yeah. You say this isn't for everybody, veterans on the Camino. But there are those who stand to benefit greatly. You say those veterans who are lost, disconnected, and losing hope can make this walk and find that inner peace one step at a time. Tell us about the impact you've had on other veterans. Well, I, uh, as a matter of fact, in less than a month, uh, I will be stepping off on the, the spring Camino with a, a veteran who's been through a great bit of, of stuff. Um, and uh, he, when they do the application, you know, I, it, it's clearly stated, hey, this, this, I, I want to know your story. I want to know what troubles you. I want to know what you think you might get from the Camino. Uh, and so I, I open up the dialogue with that person in that way. And so, you know, I, my uh, board of directors were fairly selective on, on who we um, take on for this project. And so, <clears throat> yeah, I, I want to know their story. Um, I, I want them to, to uh, to know that, yeah, I, I, I care. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been there. We've got this, some of this, uh, these, these experiences in common. And I, I'm here to help them explore this journey. And you say everybody is on their own Camino. And you say my purpose isn't to shape your experience. Rather, I will remove obstacles and offer assistance to make this possible. So you, you touched on it earlier that you'll sort of be if necessary, a sort of distant presence on the Camino when you head off early next month. So you'll sort of arrive. I mean, what are the logistics? You'll sort of arrive and say, you know, off you go, and, and I'm only a, a WhatsApp call away or something. Well, it'll be structured a little bit more than that, and I think that's also a case-by-case basis. So my, uh, my, my rough plan is, that I'm very flexible on, is to travel with, uh, with the veteran, uh, we'll arrive there, and uh, we'll we'll step off from St. John, and I think you know maybe uh, four days or so together, side by side, and and at that point I think um, certainly by the time we reach the Meseta, I think it's time for for him to um, spend the day walking on his own and meet new people, and and have conversations with these uh, these strangers, and. Uh, come to the realization that humanity is humanity and there's good people out there. It's a pretty good message. Pretty good message for everybody. I always ask my guests about the spiritual nature of the Camino and we spoke about it earlier. You obviously adhere to that view. Can I ask you then how 
you would explain it to the veterans and what they can expect? Or have you just kind of left that open for them to discover for themselves? I kind of leave that open because, as you know, uh, there's, there's been many people who have tried to explain the Camino and, and the essence of it and what it is that makes it so special. And I don't believe that anybody's ever really captured that. I believe that it's something you have to experience to really appreciate, and it will leave you at a loss for words. Um, so I, I don't try to explain what's going to happen to them because it, it's unique to every single person. Uh, but I do let them know that, that they accept this Camino and, and they step into it and they go into it with an open heart. Profound things will happen to them. Yeah. Just a couple of weeks ago, I spoke with the US author and blogger Rebecca Scott, and Rebecca now lives on the Camino. Such was the impact of, of, of the way on her. Mm-hmm. And, and, and she, she t- spoke about opening yourself to it. And not everybody is spiritual, but everybody will be impacted by it, whether you're spiritual or not, by simply opening yourself to live and learn and take in some of the wonderful things the Camino has to offer. Tell us about your book, Soldier to Santiago. You say it's a dual journey. You faced hell in Afghanistan and found yourself again while walking the Camino to Santiago. Was it easy to put your thoughts on the page? Yes, I I actually think it was because, uh, first of all, I kept a very detailed journal in Afghanistan. Uh, I didn't realize I was going to use that later on, but... I, I kept it nonetheless. It was a habit that I built over the years of my uh, career in the military uh, to keep a, a detailed journal. Uh, and then shortly after starting walking the Camino, I, I realized that, you know, like I said, this is a story I felt I wanted to share. And so I, at that point, started keeping a, a, the journal right there in my pocket. And anytime a thought occurred to me, I would just stop and write it down uh, with the intention that I would be able to draw on that when I got back to write a manuscript. And that's pretty much what happened. I, I had the entire commuter to walk and think about how I wanted to, to lay the story out. And it didn't take long to get it down on a paper when I got back. I was uh, hammering away at the keyboard all day, every day for about a month. And, and that was it. That, that was the beginning, though, of uh, the real struggle of, of finding people to help me editing and, and you know, getting it published and everything else. Um, so... Yeah, the, the actual process of, of telling the story was not too hard because I already had all the, the yeah. building blocks in place. Had you had any experience as an author, though? No, I had not. That was a, a new experience to me. And you clearly enjoyed it? I did. Well, yes and no. Uh, I, I would start my morning by writing about Afghanistan, and that would put me in some right. pretty dark places. Yeah. And, uh so I would I would finish up by spending the afternoon writing about the Camino, and you know the joys that I had there, and so that would uh, that would kind of balance things out. I'll, I'll tell my listeners where to get the book at the end of the podcast, but you urge people if they think walking the way is something that will help, or you know a veteran who needs change to contact you. So you're still looking for participants, and tell us, Brad, how the whole process works back in the states. Sure. Well, first of all, this is not just for American veterans. Uh, any any uh, coalition forces who you know, have served with the United States are welcome to apply for this program. Uh, war is not picky, and yeah. 
uh, if, if you wore a uniform and you were, you know, out there doing the hard thing, then, yeah, you, you know what? I, I have a spot. So it is not limited to American veterans. It, it's open to all. Okay. Uh, that being said, the application process is fairly straightforward. I'll, I'll advertise that on my website uh, for the fall Camino, and that will probably be advertised in, in mid-June. So what I'm looking for then is uh, I have an application form. So people interested will contact me. I will send them the application form. Uh, they, they fill that out and return it to me. And then uh, at the cutoff date, uh, what I'll do is I'll compile all of those, and the board of directors will go through them, and we have a, a scoring system that we use. And uh, there's, there's only so many that we can take for each trip, but uh, we'll, we'll rank them all and start at the top and, and make our selections. So how, how are you funding it? Well, I have done uh, uh, quite a bit of fundraising campaigning so far. And that works out pretty well. I've, I've gotten quite a few people who are interested in stepping in and, and helping veterans who've given so much. Uh, so so far, funding's not been a huge issue. And I'm you know working towards the official status as a uh, 501c3 charity, and that's that's a work in progress. But once we have that, then uh, that opens up a lot of doors as well. So how often do you hope to walk? And could pilgrims themselves, veterans that you have taken as pilgrims, could they end up escorting other veterans down the track themselves? That's very possible. Now, this, this program is still in its infancy, and that is one of the thoughts that I've been playing with. Uh, I, I won't say that I'm there yet. I, I haven't finalized that, uh, that theory. But yes, there will be. Uh, my, my plan is to continue these walks. And I, eventually... Uh, I, I will need help from other people guiding tours. So I would like to see this program grow to where, you know, we, we can accommodate a, yeah, a, a fairly healthy number of veterans every year. Well, certainly everybody I know who has walked it and people I've spoken with would agree it's the perfect thing. It's the perfect journey for somebody looking for some clarity and to potentially relaunch after, you know, I mean, post-traumatic stress disorder, the ravages of war, I mean, I can't imagine what it's like. I suppose you, only veterans can imagine what it's like. So I, I really wish you all the very best with that aspect of your journey in the days, weeks, months, and, and years ahead. Brad, I always ask my guests just some, some nuts and bolts uh, questions. Can I ask you? Sure. How much did you carry when you walked your first Camino? How much did I carry? Yeah, what, how much, what was the weight, your backpack? Oh, uh, my backpack, wow, uh, pounds or kilos. <laughs> oh, give us pounds. Uh, <laughs> pounds. My pack weighed uh, 22 and a half pounds, and the only reason that it was over 20 pounds was because I carried a very heavy camera right. with additional lenses. Yeah, So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a little bit heavy because of that. Other than that, I was pretty much a minimalist. When you arrived home and unpacked, was there something you thought, I could have left that behind? Uh, the camera. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I say that in jest because I really, the, the, the photos I took, I love them. Uh, I have carried that camera on, on all three Caminos that I've done so far. And um, it, it, I'm very torn right now. I'm packing my, uh, my pack 
right now. And I, I, it's sitting there. I'm not sure if I'm going to take it or not. But that would be the only extra piece of gear. You can get very good little digital cameras now, Brad. <laughs> right? You can get really good ones. And can I ask yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. I've heard that. <laughs> <laughs> what about something you wish you had taken? And perhaps because you've done three Caminos, perhaps you learned something after the first and you took it on your second and third. No, uh, I, I've made some minor changes to uh, my boots and socks. Like I, I use sock liners now. Uh, that would probably be the only change in gear. I've, I've had to you know, replace a few items, but really um, I'm, I'm very happy with, with my minimal packing list. And you're heading back in, in just a few weeks' time. Where are you most looking forward to returning to? Oh, I love Galicia. I, I tell you, as soon as you, uh, as soon as I reach Osobrero and uh, I, I'm I'm setting foot back in Galicia, I am at absolute peace. I am filled with joy. Uh, everything from the uh, Coro Gallego to uh, just just the feeling in the air. I love Galicia. Yeah. Every time I do this, every week I get texts and emails from people saying, what are you doing? <laughs> you make me just start to pine for the Camino when you start talking about it. You were just talking and then I'm thinking, yeah, I remember it too. So great. Oh, yeah. And, and look, I should have asked you before um, when we were talking about uh, the organization, being a service that provides funding, you're always after donations, aren't you? Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, we, we could use all the help we can get, especially as a program uh, continues to grow. Uh, we, we're certainly looking for people to help. Well, good luck to you and the veterans who accompany you, Brad. It's an outstanding initiative. The spirit of the Camino, giving back to those who themselves have represented their country in fields of war. Good luck and thank you for your time. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Brad Gerino there, the man behind Veterans on the Camino. You can find Brad's book, Soldier to Santiago, on Amazon, Soldier to Santiago. And you can find all the information, including how to donate, at veteransonthecamino.com. That's all one word, as they say, veteransonthecamino.com. I'm Dan Mullins, and until next week, one Camino. Camino.